Good morning. I can tell you right off, first thing I'm going to have to do is figure out how to talk to a black spike. I don't know how these guys are doing this from up here because I can't see one person uh, looking at this. It is just difficult. Let me ask you a question. I want some response. How many of you were born full-grown? I don't see any hands, but that doesn't mean there aren't any that are being raised. But I don't see any. None of us were born full-grown, were we? How do we all begin life? In the womb, we're born as a baby, right, when we begin life. Uh, and let me ask you, what do babies do besides eat and cry and that other stuff that babies wind up doing? What's the, I heard it very lightly. They grow. That's right. That's what they do. They eat and they cry. Sometimes they coo a little bit and they do other stuff and they grow. That is really the subject that we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, when babies grow, what do they eventually become? We hope. <laughs> they become very expensive, that's right. We hope they will become adults. What kind of adults do we hope that they will become? Mature adults. There's a word that, that uh, adults like to use. I don't know that kids like to use it a whole lot, but adults certainly like to, do it, to use it. Uh, what does it take for babies to grow up and become mature adults? I heard guidance. What else? Love, nourishment, okay. Anything else you can think of? Somebody said spanking, discipline. That's right. That's part of growing into maturity, right? Uh, takes that for that to happen. All right. One of the things that we're going to look at this morning is one of the analogies that the Bible uses all the time to, dis- to talk about and describe what happens when we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The analogy is one that you can already figure out. It's new birth. Uh, based on the topic that we've just started talking about, the Bible tells us and describes what happens when we enter into a relationship with Jesus as new birth. Uh, oftentimes it is goes by the term, and you hear the term used that we are born again. And the Bible tells us that when we are, we are born, when we are born physically, we are born spiritually dead. What that means is that we're born separated from God. We do not, we not enter this world in a relationship with Almighty God. Uh, we're not made spiritually alive. And the Bible tells us that if we're born in that condition, separated from God, spiritually dead, that if we do not enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ during our life here on earth, that we will die eternally and remain uh, spiritually dead throughout all eternity, which means we'll remain separated from God throughout all eternity. Most of us are familiar with that idea. You've heard it talked about. If you've heard anything about Christianity uh, in your life, that's one of the things that you'll hear talked about, and we often call that being born again. Uh, Although we're familiar with the idea, we don't really understand the process, which I think is illustrated in the Scripture. You, You remember the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus, who was a Jewish leader, one of the leaders of their faith. And Jesus told Nicodemus that you must be born again. You remember what Nicodemus's response was? How? That's right. And that, you know, that's the basic response that we all have. And then he followed that up with, do I need to go back into my mother's womb? And Jesus kind of corrected him and said, no, you don't even have it. You're not even thinking correctly at all. That's not the process that I'm talking about. The uh, term, well, it became very uh, familiar and used quite a bit in our country back in the 70s when I was a teenager. I don't know uh, how old most of you are, but the first time I cast a vote for president, I voted for Jimmy Carter. You want to guess why I voted for Jimmy Carter? Because he was a born-again Christian. That was one of the things that they said. So I thought, well, if he's a born-again Christian, I'm going to vote for him. I was 18, year old, 18 years old. It felt like that was really important. You also remember from that time period, uh, you remember who Richard Nixon was? Or have you studied about Richard Nixon for some of you? Uh, well, Richard Nixon had a, a hatchet man, the guy that worked in his administration that took care of business for him, and that man was Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson wrote a book after he was convicted for uh, criminal activity as Richard Nixon's hatchet man, and he was sent to prison, and he wrote a book that described his experience when he came into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The name of that book is Born Again. Have any of you read that book? Look again. I see a few hands, and I highly 
recommend that book. It really is a great description of the transformation that takes place in someone's life when they enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, we're all kind of familiar with the idea of spiritual new birth. We are generally less familiar with the idea or the importance of spiritual growth. The um, Bible discusses new life, and it discusses our new life, our being born again, in the context of that's not the end of what takes place in our lives. The Bible talks about it in the context of uh, we must be born again, but it also tells us that we must grow up. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, and that really does bring us to the passage that we want to talk about this morning. Uh, Before we read that passage, I want to mention just a couple of other analogies that the Bible uses because we're going to find those in this passage, and I want to just kind of read through it, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about those. One of those analogies is that the Bible calls those who have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ saints. Sometimes we hear that term. I I kind of pull back from that term. I don't like the way it sounds. And it makes me think that the Bible is calling me something that I'm not. Because when I think of saints, I think of somebody that is sinless or holy and they don't ever sin and they don't have those kind of problems. That's not really what the term means. What it means is those who are are devoted to God. They're believers who are devoted to God. And that's the more biblical definition of being holy is devoted to God. So we're going to see that term in uh, the passage today. We're also going to see a term called the body of Christ. And all that means is that that the corporate, uh, all the believers together are called the church and the Bible often refers to the church as the body of Christ and it uses an analogy that simply says Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He is the head and you and I, the members of the church, those who are believers, are part of the body, Jesus Christ. With that being said, if we can put the scripture verse up, we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, or I am because most of you I know can't read. Uh, not because you can't read, but because you can't see. Uh, Shoot myself in the head. All right. I say that because it's, a, it's one of the problems we've not been able to figure out. If there's somebody in this audience that's a lighting expert, we'd like to know how to light the theater without drowning out what's on up here. And I didn't mean you couldn't read. Uh, uh, that might be true for one or two of you, but I, I don't know that. So. Uh, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses uh, 1 through 16. And I'm going to read through these. We're going to skip a few verses in the middle because they're kind of an aside, but we'll just um, go ahead and read through these. This passage says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then skipping down to verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by cunning craftiness, by, uh, by cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The passage that we're looking at is the last part of that passage, which is all really just one sentence in the, in the uh, way it was originally written. And we're just going to begin to talk about that. But I want just to see the context. And you see the context is that Paul is urging the Ephesians, the Ephesian believers to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling 
point to which you have been called. And then he goes on to describe how he wants them to do that and how that process is going to take place. The, uh, matter of fact, the rest of the book of Ephesians from this point forward is all about how we walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called. I said that phrase twice and read it once already, and every time I read it and say it, I think, what in the world does that mean? To the calling to which we have been called. But we're going to look at this passage and see what it has to say about that. Um, if you go on down to verse 7, it says there that Christ has given each member of the body a measure or a portion of a gift of his grace, which is the Holy Spirit. So he's given each one of us a portion, the measure of the Holy Spirit that he intended to give to us. And he gave it to us for a specific purpose, and that is really the topic that we want to look at today. So that begins in uh, verse 11. Let me read this part again, beginning in verse 11. This is the this is all one sentence, so it's one basic thought tied together in, in one long sentence the way uh, Paul tends to write. And let me read it quickly. We'll go through it again. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I think I'd have failed English if I wrote that sentence is one sentence in language, but the Holy Spirit certainly had a purpose for that, and he's joined it together for us. What I want to do is, is take that passage, particularly those verses, and we're going to take just a few minutes and go through and break down those verses and see exactly what they have to say to you and I today about how we are supposed to live our lives after we are born into a relationship with Jesus Christ. In doing that, I want to look at a couple of questions, and I want you to think about these questions as we look at exactly what the passage says. The first question is, what does God want his children to grow up to be or to become? Or you could perhaps put it another way, and a little bit more formally, the question is, what is God's plan? and purpose for his children, for you and I. The second question is, how do we do what God wants us to do? Now, let's look at the first truth that we can, or series of truths that we can see that come out of this text. First, we see that Jesus gave to the church, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers to accomplish a specific task. The task that he gave, what we have today basically are evangelists and pastors and teachers, the task that he gave to them is to do what? Pa- say it. To equip who? Saints, okay? So who are the saints? Believers. And that is you and I, right? All right, so he gave pastors and teachers and the evangelists to equip the saints. And the idea there is to make us fully trained, to give us all that supply us with all that we need to do a specific task. And what is the task that he wants the saints to do? Build up the... Okay, I heard two things, and, that, and I think that's exactly what the passage says. We're not doing anything difficult here. It's exactly what the passage says. He gave pastors and teachers and evangelists to equip us, to train us, and make us prepared to do the work of ministry. And I kind of think, what is the work of ministry? Don't ministers minister, right? And the congregation, they don't minister. That's kind of the way we think about it a lot of times, but that's not what the Scripture says. The God, God says that the, he gives us the pastors to train and equip the congregation, the members, the saints, to do the work of ministry. And that's just service. Ministry is just a, a word that means service. We serve, meet the need of those who are in the body of Christ. The other thing that we do is we build up the body of Christ. And the idea there, again, is to edify. And it's literally the idea of 
If you're building up, raising up a house, you're building it up. How do we build up body of Christ? By edifying one another, by serving one another, and by edifying one another. Now, the second thing that I want to, want to look at there is how long is that process going to continue that we just described? Well, he says in here that the uh, process will continue until we all attain to the unity of faith. Now, so let's just talk about that. How long is it going to, con- going to continue? It, lifelong is what it sounds like, right? He's not measuring as much by our life, but by uh, a goal that God has in mind. And that goal is that we will all come to the unity. And that's the idea there is we all will come to a oneness. Being one member of the body, and remember the one body part, we'll all come to a oneness. And that oneness comes from the faith, the truths of the faith, teachings of the faith, what the truths of the Christian Christianity are. And it also comes from knowledge of the Son of God. So you have this unity, a oneness between all believers comes from uh, the teachings of the faith and from the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, the idea here, again, is not head knowledge. I know about Jesus and I know about God. The idea is a knowledge that is a personal knowledge that says I have a relationship with and I know who uh, the Son of God is. So knowing the truths of the faith and knowing Jesus Christ. Those are the things that, um, the, the first two of these things we say here, the process will continue until, and I, let me ask this again, who is it that is going to be part of this oneness and have this knowledge of the Son of God? Say that louder. The saints, but the word used is, we, I think we overlook this all the time. This could have been the myth. Who's supposed to be holy and saint? All of us, right? He says this is going to happen until we all, and it's, it's very emphatic, until we all come to this state that God hasn't designed for us. Uh, what's the second thing that's listed there? He, he's there are three things, actually, that he says that we're until we all attain to or come to and arrive at this particular state. The second one is mature manhood. Ladies, don't be offended. That doesn't have anything to do with being male. What's the idea of mature manhood? And actually, some of your tra- the, the New King James reads, to the perfect man. Is he out there? <laughs> I don't see him either. I don't know. Uh, you know, what does that mean, unto the perfect man? You know, the idea, again, is, is not so much perfect in the sense of sinless. We never make a mistake. We have no flaws. The idea of perfection here is complete. Till we reach the, com- the completeness of humanity, the, the man that God intended us to be when he designed us, till we all come into that being a complete uh, man. Again, not the idea of being sinless or without flaw. And the third thing is the one that is almost a tongue twister to me that's listed there. And he says, until we all come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Anybody want to take a, a, a stab at that one? That's a difficult uh, concept to even get. What's he talking about here? Well, the measure is the portion, right? So he's talking about until we come to the portion or the share, and then he talks about the stature. Well, stature has to do with our size, how we're built, you know, how big we are. And, so, and, and then the final thing is until the fullness of Christ. I went over and over that, read trying to find what does that mean exactly? What is, exactly is, is, does it mean? And the idea seems to be until we become completely filled up with Christ, having taken into ourselves the full share allotment or portion that he has for us so that we are like him in stature, in size and build and shape. That's that we are like him spiritual. So we have here, the process is going to continue until we all, not just some of us, not just a few, but all of us reach these states that God has designed for us. Uh, the next section we're going to look at is Paul gives us a couple of reasons why it's important for each one of us to attain to these states that he's just described. The first of those is so that we will no longer be children who are tossed and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Now, the Bible's very friendly towards children and it speaks very highly of children all the time, right? But here he says he doesn't want us to always be children. Again, you think, and just think about it. What is a child when a child is born? Completely immature, right? They're ignorant. They don't, they don't know anything. I don't mean that ugly, but they don't know anything. They have no knowledge, right? They have to be taught. Uh, and the word literally it means not speaking. So it's the idea, and every time I found that word in, used in the Scripture, it's used in a negative connotation in terms of someone who is unschooled, who has not been taught yet. 
So one of the goals that Paul says, this is one of the reasons that uh, Christ wants us to grow and attain to these states that he's described is so that we will no longer be children. How were we born? As babies, right? We're supposed to remain babies. No. That may be the myth that that we have to deal with, right? Because a lot of times we just think it doesn't matter. I can remain a baby. The Bible says no. He doesn't want us to remain as babies. He wants us to grow. And and he wants us to grow into, and this is the second half of it. We don't want to be children who are ignorant and don't know anything. They've never grown. He wants us to be, to grow. he wants us to grow into the measure, uh, excuse me, to grow into, up in every way into Christ Jesus. Now, I kind of look at that one and I start, now what in the world is he talking about there? Now, he wants us to grow up in every way into uh, Christ Jesus. Uh, and he wants us to do it, and he kind of says it so that it's speaking the truth in love. Again, I struggle with, what does he mean? Now, who is Jesus? He's God's son, right? Was he perfect? He was perfect in the sense, sense complete perfect. He loved perfectly. He did everything perfect. He obeyed God completely and fully perfect. And he wants some of us to grow up and be like Christ. Is that what it says? Huh? Who does he want? All of us to grow up and be like Christ. And he wants us to do it, and he kind of qualifies this with here, speaking the truth in love. Now, I kind of struggled again with, what does that mean, speaking the truth in love? Does that mean I get to go around and tell everybody, don't do this, don't do that. I know you're doing it, don't do it. Is that speaking the truth? If, if you are saying that, if you are doing it right, it is truth, right? Is it being done in love? No. Is that the concept that he's talking about here? Are we supposed to be a bunch of rule givers? No, we're not. That's not the concept at all. What did Christ do? And I'm going to tell you, this is exactly what Christ did. He spoke the truth in love. What did he do? I think I have a couple of circumstances that kind of struck me. One of the things he did, think about Mary and Martha. You remember when Mary and, and Martha had him into the home and Martha went to Jesus and complained because Mary wasn't doing anything? What did he say to Martha? He told her that Mary had chosen the greater thing. You know, now, He spoke the truth to her, and he did it in a loving way. And that's kind of an example of speaking the truth in love. I think when the, uh, some of the disciples wanted to be first, and they wanted to be sitting right next to him on his throne, he rebuked them. Again, he was speaking the truth in love. So we kind of think of it in those terms, but I submit to you that it goes a whole lot further. The concept goes a whole lot further than that because the word speaking is not in uh, the original language. We've added that to give us some understanding of what it means. But the word... It's actually one word, and it's a verb, and it says truthing, acting in a manner that is genuine and truth, which acting, our actions include our words, what we say. What Josh said this morning uh, when we started off the service was speaking the truth, acting in a manner that says, I don't want to be a fake. I don't want to be a fraud as I stand before you, and that means I can't pretend to be somebody that I'm not. What do we call people that do that? Hypocrites. That's what we call them. It's what we ought to call ourselves most of the time, isn't it? Because we all do that a lot. We pretend to be something that we're not, especially when we come to church church on Sunday morning. We want to walk in and we put on our good face and our good appearance and act as if we're something that we're not. So the idea here is being genuine with one another in a loving manner, just as Christ was. Notice the contrast we have here. God doesn't want us to be children who have not yet learned how to speak who are completely ignorant. What God wants us to be is full grown, uh, as measured by the stature of the fullness of Christ. God wants us to be mature adults who through faith have come to really know Jesus and have a personal relationship with him. God wants us to be children who have grown up in every way into Christ so that we now do as Christ did and speak the truth in love. And finally, we're going to uh, get through these last points. The last section here talks about when the whole body of Christ, when every member of the body of Christ uh, has, is, the whole body of Christ is working properly, then the body grows, building itself up in love. Again, I want you to notice the use of the word all there, the idea he wants all of us. We need to all be involved in working properly within the body of Christ. And the idea 
idea is when we're all effectively working, then what happens? Then the body grows, right? Church, in that sense, grows, and we contribute to one another. What's the inference if we're not all working properly? Doesn't it grow? That's pretty simple, right? I and mean, there's nothing complicated about this at all. Now, I don't know about you, but we kind of look at this, and we've seen that kind of what the text teaches. Let me ask you those questions again. What does God want his children to grow up to be or become? He wants us to become like Christ, right? He wants us to grow up and to be like Christ, and he's in every way. Now, it's God's plan and purpose for you and me that all of us, every one of us, grow up into Jesus Christ. I'm a parent. I had expectations for my children. Uh, some of them weren't very realistic. Does God have high expectations? Are they realistic? You say it louder. Are they realistic? Yes. God's expectations for you and I are that we become like Christ in every man. And his expectations are realistic because he knows all. And he knows what he's done in each one of us. And don't be discouraged about this. We didn't really cover it today, but I want to, there are a couple other verses that I think we just need to think about as we talk about the idea of spiritual growth here. Uh, one is found in 2 Peter uh, verses 1 through 3. And Peter tells us that uh, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So God has granted to us all things that we need for life and godliness. And then Paul tells us uh, in Ephesians, actually the book of Ephesians, the whole beginning of it, it's just this overwhelming recitation of all the good and glorious things that God has given us so that we can be his children. And in um, Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 through 14, uh, Paul says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it uh, my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We don't dwell on the past and where we're not. Continue to push forward. And, and if Paul can say that, I'm going to forget what's behind and move forward. So can you and I. Let's, let's go to the second question. How do we know, or excuse me, how do we do what God wants us to do? Now, this is where I think we really struggle. How do we do to become what he wants us to come? Doesn't just happen, does it? I heard something over there. Okay, that's absolutely one of the things. that sound like my mother, by the way, I think. Uh, we have to study the Word, and uh, I think it was. Uh, uh, well... <laughs> When your mother speaks, you get quiet. You know? uh, first thing we need to do is be ultimately aware that God is the one that causes growth. It's not what you and I do necessarily that causes growth. God is the one that causes growth. But God has chosen to accomplish his purposes in us with our participation. We work and respond to him, to what he has done. And so this passage kind of gives us some, some clues here, and we're just going to quickly cover those. Jesus has given us the gifts that equip us to minister to one another, and we are each one to serve, minister to one another, and to build up one another. We are to speak the truth in love. Be genuine. Don't be counterfeit. Don't be a fake. At home, most of us aren't that way at home. Here, when you're out with other believers, with the world, be genuine. Be who you are. Now, change. Grow, right? That's We don't want to stay a baby. We're not born adults. We're born babies, and we have to grow, and that's his admonition to us. We're out of time, so we're going to cover a couple of couple more things very quickly. What's the problem? I, to me, the biggest problem that I see here is most of what God said for us to do takes place within the context of the body of Christ. You and I live in a world where we hardly ever see other Christians, except for in fact. We don't see the body of Christ except for on Sunday morning, oftentimes. We don't see other believers. Uh, how do we go about serving someone you never have contact with? How do you go about ministering to and speaking the truth and love people that you never have contact with? Well, the answer is we must begin to do life together at home with our families, not just in formal settings. We're going to do that in community groups. We're also going to do that together as you live your lives. We'll speak the truth, love to one another, and serve one another. What about our myth? I hadn't even talked about it at all. We started off with this myth. I don't need anybody to grow. Is that true? Who do we need? Jesus, each other, indwelling Holy Spirit. We haven't covered all the things that the Bible says. This passage emphasizes who we need for the body of Christ. We need each 
other to grow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It speaks truth to us. Father, you take us all as babies. You give us new life. You give us all that we need to grow into Jesus Christ in every word. I pray that we listen, respond, to be obedient, do what you have called us. We might each one grow up into Jesus Christ. We pray these things, Jesus precious, holy name.